live A-C-U. from the ACU of Texas Studios. This is the Clear Lake Today Podcast Network. Welcome to Meet in the Middle Chronicles. This is Sam Collins. And I'm Norman Papoose. We met in an office and discovered that despite each of us consistently voting for different political parties, we shared a common goal of leaving our kids a better world. When we started talking to each other, we found that we could meet in the middle on many issues that face our nation. That got us wondering, why can't our elected representatives agree? Find the middle on issues. I don't give up my values when I compromise, and neither does Sam. But we know that compromise serves our kids better than what we see in the current political atmosphere. We had a successful radio show, then the Chinese bought the station. But we got with the times, and now we have a podcast. So sit back and listen. Today we cover a clash of generations over hair length, the Richmond Second Amendment protests, and that of the California Black Panthers Second Amendment protests back in 1967, and Stacey Abrams, that that venerable Democrat, gives some good advice we think everyone uh, will want to happen. Let's get to it, Sam. Issue number one. Wait, Norm. You mean we're not going to cover the impeachment trial? Uh, Okay, here's some audio. You want the impeachment trial? Here's the impeachment trial. Here is some audio of the major media talking heads giving us their insights into the trial. Let's listen to what they say, these experts, then we can comment. So after listening to that, if you think we uh, believe that this story has been covered to death, you'd be correct. And apparently the nation isn't tuning in either. From New York Magazine just this morning, according to TV ratings for the first two days of the trial, the six networks covering Trump's impeachment averaged a little over 11 million viewers combined. Viewership dropped by about 20% on Wednesday. Compared to other televised political moments of historical importance, it's a fairly weak showing. In 2018, the testimony of Christine Blasey Ford and Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh drew an audience of 20.4 million uh, viewers over six broadcast networks. In 2018, the midterms also pulled in a substantial 36.1 million viewership, a greater audience than the four previous midterms. The 2016 election drew an audience of 71 million viewers. Only 60 million ago <laughs> from 11. So, you know, we, we have said this before. I, uh, I think it's, it's been covered. Uh, the Democrats uh, took the position to move forward with impeachment in the House. I thought that uh, the energy could have been used to just uh, putting forth the best candidate uh, because the Senate is not going to impeach him or remove him from office. Uh, even though they're going through the motions, uh, I don't think they're going to call any witnesses and they're going to vote. And probably before uh, his State of the Union address, uh, that will be behind us. Yep. And Stacey Abrams has a good point we'll get to later in the show. But it, if the listeners want to hear what we think about the charges or the impeachment uh, process, you know, they can check out our previous podcasts on uh clearlaketoday.com just go there under podcasts and you can see uh, our history of podcasts and you'll and uh, we have some pretty good um, uh, sections some episodes on the impeachment let's move on sam all right barbers hill school district tells student it's his hair 
or the graduation walk. DeAndre Arnold, 18, has been a student at Barbers Hill ISD his entire life and has been growing his dreadlocks since he was 10 years old with no issues. For some reason, back in December, DeAndre was told to get rid of the dreads or spend the rest of the year in in-school suspension, which would mean he couldn't walk the graduation stage with the rest of his classmates in the spring. NBC News ran a story on it. Barbers Hill High School student DeAndre Arnold has always been a good student. AB student, he has dual credit classes that he's taking. You know, he's not a problem. But Arnold's mother, Sandy, says her son's hair has lately been a problem at the school and one that sent him to in-school suspension. This is a part of who he is, our beliefs. DeAndre's family is from Trinidad. He says a lot of the men in his culture grow their dreadlocks. These are pictures of some of his family members. I really like that part of, you know, Trinidadian culture. So, I mean, I really embrace that. For years, his mother says he's had dreadlocks and always followed the school's dress code. The dress code is off the shoulders, above the earlobes, and out of the eyes. DeAndre wears his hair just like this, in which he says is in compliance with the dress code. But after Christmas break and just three months before DeAndre's graduation, his mother says the district changed the dress code policy. They say that even though my hair is up and off of all the regulations, that if it was down, it would be out of dress code. Not that I'm out of dress code, but if... I was to take it down, I'd be out of dress code, which doesn't make any sense. Because you don't take it down. I don't take it down in school. DeAndre's mother says she's trying to reach out to board members and the superintendent in hopes of coming to a resolution, but hasn't gotten a response. She says her son isn't allowed back to school and can't walk in the upcoming graduation until his dreadlocks are cut. So... Here's the thing about the the hair. One, uh, initially, I believe it's getting attention because uh, it's seen as a cultural issue and maybe discriminatory because he's uh, African-American. But there's a new twist to this that has come up from uh, some other students complaining about the fact other male students who are not minority students complaining that the girls get to wear their hair long or they can cut their hair. So now it's... um, another angle to the story of white male students that are complaining about having to cut their hair also. So that adds another twist to this. What do you think, No, I don't think it's a twist. I think it's a stupid rule. I, it just flat out, it's a stupid rule. Um, and they're enforcing it in a manner that makes uh, th- them appear that they're uh, picking on a minority student. There is a Facebook, I don't know if it's a page or a post, uh, of a previous Barber Hill student, and I think you sent it to me. Mm-hmm. Um, he was on the football team or the baseball team, and in order to you know get with it and you know school spirit, he he uh, put some geometric. How would you call it geometric parts hair? and designs in Part, his head? Yeah, and designs mohawk. in his head. And uh, those, by definite, by strict definition of the Barber's Hill you know policy, are in violation of their code. Nobody said a word to that kid. Um, so Barbara Hill really needs to issue an apology. Uh, you know, they're not going to look good. They don't look good now. They need to move on and look at the rest of their policies to make sure there, are other, there aren't other policies that um, might uh, unfairly target students of a certain demographic. Um, so I, I can't defend this. I'm not going to try to defend this. Well, I think it's indefensible myself that even though it's been in practice 30 years, uh, I 
I personally emailed the superintendent, and he actually emailed me back. Uh, he emailed me back with some all caps and uh, exclamation points. Did he really? Uh, yeah. So I uh, I emailed him back <laughs> and let him know that uh, I'm not intimidated by his all caps and exclamation. Oh, can points. we put this on our our Facebook page? Uh, absolutely. I screenshot it and, and send it over. And I, I tried to uh, be diplomatic in my my first email and you know I told him we would talk about it on the show and wanting to be fair he said that was some things behind the story you know that's two sides to every story so I don't know what those details are and of course he can't divulge uh, uh, information with a with a private student I wouldn't expect him to but uh, he, he got very defensive about the district's academics and that they were you know successful which School districts should be successful in the classroom. That was not. I emailed him about the hair policy. I didn't email him about test scores or the academics. And and the other thing, if this student has met all the requirements in the classroom to graduate, why are we having this issue about, about hair. His hair? And you know, even uh, we did an earlier interview with Matranga um, over in Tech City ISD, and he says, you know, school district. A lot of these issues, you create discipline problems about. The clothes that you could wear, the hair and things. And I know there has to be some some basic rules, but this just seems outdated uh, for the times. And and there are more male students complaining, not just uh, DeAndre and his family, but there are other parents. And some parents made their students cut their hair, but uh, this particular family just took a stand. And seeing that the policy was not enforced across the board, as you use the example of the other football player, that put the pictures up himself to point out the hypocrisy of the school district wanting to uh, enforce the letter of the law or policy, so to speak, with DeAndre, but uh, they hadn't with other students. And now uh, a lot more students are being called in as a knee-jerk reaction to be to come into compliance, so to speak. Right. Well, so the, this being on NBC News, that the school board should have stepped. If the school board had members on it that were thinking of the larger picture and the, in my opinion, the welfare of the community, the school board should have ste- stepped up, called in the the superintendent, and say, "Okay, you know, this is getting out of hand over a haircut. Let's you know, in this, change the policy over." Let's put it on the agenda, change the policy, meet in the middle, and move on. The The, the primary uh, responsibility of the school, I believe, is to educate the children, not be the hair police. I agree. Now, move on? Move okay. On. Stacey Abrams admonishes her fellow Democrats. Now, we don't have audio of what Stacey Abrams actually said, but it's been covered by quite a few news organizations. So before we get there... Let's remember who she was. Stacey Abrams lost a very tough battle uh, for the for the governorship of Georgia uh, back in 2016. Since then, she's been mentioned as a leading figure of Democratic politics, potential vice presidential candidate. And uh, we'll give you a brief description through a third party of her meteoric rise in politics. Stacey Abrams may no longer be a lawmaker, but Democrats say she's just getting started. Next week, Abrams will deliver the Democrats' rebuttal to the president's State of the Union address. She lost her bid to be Georgia's governor in the midterms, but party leaders saw a fighter after she refused to concede the narrow election. Okay, so she's a pretty, uh, pretty big deal. Now, 
According to the Associated Press, Democratic uh, politician, I'm reading, I'm quoting, Democratic politician and voting rights advocate Stacey Abrams told a college crowd Wednesday that it's time to move beyond past elections and ensure future ones are fair. Quote, we have to stop relitigating past elections and have to start planning for future elections, end quote, Abrams said. Okay, Sam, who who could disagree? All right. Uh, Let me tell you a quick story that happened uh, last night with a guy that never paid attention to uh, politics until uh, 2016. Norm, you want to? Yeah. Okay. So this is really interesting. I'm in a a uh, a school event, and somebody notices me and starts talking politics, and he goes, "You know, Norm, I was never into politics until 2016 because Donald Trump came on." It's not that I liked Trump, he said. It's that he kind of made everything a watchable event, you know, with everything that came out of his mouth. Um, And so I started paying attention to actually who should I vote for. I've never, he said, I've never done that before. And he goes on to say that Trump, when, when he wasn't being bombastic, was giving us a laundry list of the things he's going to do. And so I was checking things off, and I'm like, I like that, I like that, I like that. And then I looked at the Democratic side, and their point was Donald Trump can't be elected president. And that was it. And so I voted for Donald Trump. That's what he told me. And he said he was waiting for the Democrats to tell him what they would do. I think Stacey Abrams is saying this. I think Andrew Yang um, said this two debates ago when he said, we have to stop talking about Donald Trump and stop start talking about uh, what Donald Trump was talking about. Well, well, you know, the, the way I said, I have another example. I was thinking about this as we was preparing for this uh, topic uh, It's to me, these past elections in six, uh, 2016 and other uh, prior elections is kind of like the, the high school guy still talking about the playoff game you lost. <laughs> if Joe would have caught the pass, we would have beat such and such team. If that referee hadn't made that bad call, it would have been a catch in Green Bay and the Cowboys would have went to the Super Bowl. But it was called an incomplete pass. It was fourth down. Green Bay's ball is history. We can't change it. Even though the NFL went back later and said, you know, it probably should have been called a catch. They ruled it. Uh, okay, to Sam, it's coming yeah. out. Exactly. You're a Cowboy fan. We get it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but the point is these, these things in history are behind us, and we can. And Abrams is making a point. We should focus our energy, everybody, on going forward. Whether you're Democrat or Republican, I'm not telling you which side, but you should focus on what you can influence in the future you cannot change the past. We can't keep relitigating and going over these things. We can't change what happened. Abrams lost a, a tough race. A lot of people were purged from the rolls, but you can't go put them back on the roll and allow them to vote at this point. Okay. What do you think about the idea that Yang and Abrams, who are two of the younger members of the Democratic leadership, um, and who have significant followings, what do you think of the, the, the idea that they're the ones making this case, not the old guard, and I would say not the progressives? Neither of these, you know, I, I think you can really place firmly in the progressive wing. I think Abrams is an avowed liberal. She is absolutely, but I'm not sure she's a progressive. Um, Yang, again, you know, pretty liberal, new Democrat, definitely, but these are young Democrats making this case. And to me, that's really interesting. They are the their uh, future leaders, current leaders in, in some sense. But I don't know if the um, if the base feels that they could uh, beat Trump. 
and, and of course, Abrams is not a presidential candidate, but Yang uh, in particular, uh, I don't feel he has enough support in the base. And at some point, these individuals that's polling less than 10 percent, they need to get out of the race or less than 5 percent really need to get out of the race so we consolidate the energy and, and move forward. Uh, I think by consolidating the energy, you mean screwing Bernie once again? Uh, I'll leave that up to you. No comment. Uh, I don't see it that way uh, because one, uh, you got to remember also that Bernie uh, was more independent than Democrat. So just to jump on the Democrat side and expect that you should get all the support from the Democrats. Uh, I don't think it's fair to the Democrat. I think all he wanted was a fair process. And, you know, we won't go in there because that's not part of this. Stop relitigating the past. I I am. I am relitigating this past. You missed the ball. Okay. You know, that that playoff game is over. You're not going to be state champions. You don't get to go back and put on your high school uniform and talk about that situation. Okay, the future. Bernie. (laughs) Bernie. Treat Bernie fair. Okay, next story. Bernie has your vote? No. I'm a, I, I'm in the Republican primary. All right. The Second Amendment protest in Richmond reminded me of another time a group of Second Amendment advocates upset a state's leadership. Who remembers this? The narrator is Bobby Seale, a Black Panther of the year in 1967. Seale was protesting a state's proposed law that was uh, aimed at um, keeping the black people disarmed and powerless. Anyway, the next thing I know, I'm marching on the Capitol because we're up there to protest a bill they're trying to put in to keep us from carrying guns. Ronald Reagan is over here on the big front lawn. I got a statement to read. The Black Panther Party for Self-Defense calls upon the American people in general and the black people in particular to take careful note of the racist California legislature, which is now considering legislation aimed at keeping the black people disarmed and powerless at the very same time racist police agencies throughout the country are intensifying the terror, brutality, murder, and repression of black people. Ronald Reagan is escorted off the lawn by the state capitol police. I says, we can go inside somewhere. Isn't there a spectator section? I have these black panthers up here with guns on the second floor. They put trumped up charges of conspiracy and felonies on everyone who went in to exercise a constitutional right and said they had no right to bear arms in a public place. The uh, California Penal Code Section 12020 through 12027 and also the Second Amendment of the Constitution guarantees the citizen a right to bear arms on public property. Governor Northam issued a state of emergency when he supposedly learned of efforts by white supremacists to initiate violence at a recent heavily attended Second Amendment rights rally on the grounds of the Virginia State Capitol uh, building. That triggered a memory the same thing happened to the Black Panthers in 1967. Norm, could the Second Amendment unite groups of disaffected people who see the right to possess guns as necessary to achieving the freedoms granted to them in the Constitution? Mm. Hmm. What a question and what a comparison. Because the Black Panthers in 1967 felt that the Second Amendment right that they... they uh, what do you got? They exercised was endemic 
to promoting their cause of freedom and equal rights. That is astounding. And it is not Republican and Democrat, I think, as much as it is elitist. Uh, you know, whoever is in power, Republican or Democrat, and I'm going to admit they, they have this elitist view. You know, you get people up there in the ivory towers and in the state capitals and in Washington, D.C., and they have an air of elitism to them. And I know there are other words that this could describe it that are less inflammatory and, and less negative. But both of these groups turn to people exercising the second, not the third, not the fourth, not the fifth, the second right that was given to them by the framers of this country and called them extremists to be feared. That is incredible. Well, uh, I think they followed up on some credible uh, intelligence of potential violence uh, in the situation. So I think it's a little different than in 1967, but to your point about having the Second Amendment a right to possess uh, firearms or, or possess uh, weapons yourself in a public space on public property, I think it's, uh, you See, know, gun right owners. I don't think there was credible intelligence, and I'll tell you why. I have a reason why I don't think there was credible intelligence, because thousands and thousands of people showed up in Richmond. Thousands and thousands of people showed up in Richmond with a lot of guns and a lot of ammunition, and they left the, the park cleaner than when they arrived. Well, you know, that's, that's a valid point. Okay. They cannot come out and say, oh, there was going to be you know, that And Northam's trying to do this. He's saying the only reason there wasn't violence is because you know I stepped in and the, and the police did a great job. No, I, I don't buy that. Because if there was a threat of violence that was credible, um, they would have been violence with thousands of people there you cannot tell me that those thousands of people who were there had northam not taken any action there would have been a different outcome i don't find that a credible excuse whatsoever and you have to remember if you think it's not comparable back in 1967 the black panthers were seen as militants that's how they were described so just by them showing up you know, there was a just threat of presence. violence. Just there, there was a violent yeah. threat. Yeah. Well, that that was uh, to your point. Uh, they were not uh, violent. No, uh, and uh, the the government painted painted them out and actually infiltrated their organization and tried to uh, discredit them. Did discredit them. I mean, still now you 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 speak of a Black Panther and people think of something negative. So. Maybe we meet in the middle here and we agree. At, uh, well, I, I, think, I think the history of the Black Panthers is a history that should be told because essentially they were trying to plug holes in their community that the government was not paying attention to, you know, holes that were harming their community. Yeah. Um, and they started the free breakfast. Yeah. Uh, uh, that's a, a great, Tutoring. Docu great documentary on the Black Panthers that you should look up, do a Google search uh, and, and watch it. And, and I think your opinion of the Black Panthers may change. Uh, they were there in a as a reaction to something that was going on in the community, not as the aggressor or initiator of a lot of the things that was happening yeah. in the community. They started policing their own neighborhoods because the police weren't doing it. And uh, you know, one of the clips, I think it was Huey Newton and not Bobby Seale uh, that was uh, narrating. I have to review that again. Uh, Huey P. Newton. Uh, that was narrated. Yeah. But anyway, I, I, I want to see the next time people try to, I, I would really like to 
for people to realize that every the two times the two most famous times there has been a opposition to a second amendment rally or people exercising their second amendments at state capitals both groups were branded as dangerous extremists and neither you know and neither uh, committed any violence and we're just looking out for their rights and i believe both were using the second amendment to say look this is why the framers gave us the second amendment because this amendment protects all the other rights that we have been given in the bill of rights well that's it for this week please like us on facebook for the end of the show As we do every week, we will be offering up some story headlines that you might want to check out. From aljazeera.com, Trump says he'll likely release Middle East peace plan by Tuesday, which will be a big deal, especially since it's going to be going on in the middle of an impeachment trial. Interestingly, the Palestinians have rejected the plan before they've seen it. From rollingstone.com, Glenn Greenwald, does the law in Brazil even matter anymore? Uh, by Matt Top Tidy. Glenn Greenwald is one of America's premier journalists, and now the Brazilian government has indicted him on criminal charges. This is a powerful read, and it should make you pay attention to what is happening down there. It, it, it's, it's incredible. It's scary. Uh, from thevillagevoice.com, the billion-dollar reason for Jimmy Hoffa's disappearance by Jonathan Quitney. And if, if you consider yourself on the left side of the American political spectrum, the Village Voice should be on your reading list. All right. From wmagazine.com, Angelina Jolie's new TV show will teach kids about fake news. I think that's pretty good. I mean, I, I hope she can pull it off. I hope well, she does well. I think the public in, in general, does, I mean, we need to be able to decipher between yeah. real and what's fake. Read more. Now, uh, this is a great one. Uh, from marketwatch.com, Wells Fargo worker says employment at the bank was more stressful than Gulf War military service. <laughs> wow. Uh. <laughs> from the businessinsider.com, Sweden busted a man who impersonated a military officer for 18 years, worked at NATO headquarters, and even had contact with Russia. Unbelievable. Okay, from the LATimes.com, children as young as six are taking up arms in Mexico. This is about a indigenous tribe's right to self-police. Things are getting so out of hand in Mexico, the indigenous tribes that enjoy special legal um, identity uh, are now taking up arms to protect themselves against the lawlessness going on in Mexico. And some of the people who, you know, and they have pictures of kids six, seven years old, you know, with arms. That's how bad it's getting south of the border. That is uh, uh, um, sad uh, when you think about a child. Uh, the innocence of childhood has been stolen from so many kids so maybe we'll talk about it later that's it enough people go out and meet in the middle and compromise leave our kids a better place <laughs>